Are scary movies accurate in their depiction of what happens after death? We are discussing spiritual themes that we see in the 1982 film Poltergeist. What is the beast, ghost or demon? Do people really get lost in between heaven and hell after they die? Is there really a waiting period? Are there portals to another dimension or anything like that in the Bible? We're going to find out. So stay tuned for our three-part discussion on the film Poltergeist. Hey everybody, welcome to Movies Are Spiritual. I'm sitting here with Doug and Drew, and today we are talking about Poltergeist, Poltergeist. the 1982 movie uh, directed by Toby Hooper. So first off, I was wondering what your experience with this movie was. How did you guys first see this movie? TV. Were you young? Yes. Or an adult? Yeah. I, I remember being on TV a couple of times when I was when I was little, and I, I don't think I really watched it. I knew of you know the scene of her staring at a TV and her saying you know they're here, which is you know the, the famous the famous thing that she said. I remember my mom saying she saw it in the movie theater and it completely freaked her out. So if it was on TV, it probably didn't stay on our TV for very long if my mom was around because she didn't really <laughs> she was scared to death, but. <laughs> I mean, it was, you could catch it late night on some USA network or something like that would show it. And I think that's where I first probably saw it. And I was probably nine or 10, probably the first time I sat down and watched it. And again, it was on TV. So, you know, I don't know how much editing they had to do, but different than seeing it uncut. So in 1982, when this was on TV, I mean, did it have the face rotting scene? And did this movie terrify you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say this. It's probably one of my earliest memories of a good horror movie. Remember seeing a horror movie that, I mean, just kind of faint things here and there. I remember that. I remember Phantasm, maybe The Omen. (laughs) Those are the first three I remember seeing, not a very young age, but probably around 11 or 12. I know I used to rent it from time to time. Good old Seymour TV in Westville, Illinois. Even when it was on TV, I do remember, yeah, it, it had... I don't think they cut out as much as maybe they would nowadays. But yeah, I do remember the face melting scene every time I watched it. So I'm sure it was on TV. I mean, maybe they realized that it does look pretty fake. So it's not that bad. And it is a dream and everything. So I was scared, but I liked I liked the fright. I don't know. There's something weird with me when I was a kid. It kind of grew with me as an adult. But I really love horror movies. I remember watching this and being scared. I remember laying in bed scared as a kid, but I just wanted to keep watching it. I don't know why. It was it was a fun movie. So when you saw this on TV, then was that face rotting scene there or did they censor that out on TV? I remember seeing it on TV and I thought it was extremely disturbing because the guy just keeps picking at his face and you're, you're sitting there wondering, why are you still doing it? Stop. Stop picking your face. It reminded me of the other, like a Spielberg production of Raiders of the Lost Ark when Major Tote's face melts. It was kind of that oh, same yeah. style. You could tell it was kind of a clayish mask, but still, it was very sick. But they, yeah, I remember seeing that when it was on TV. So yeah, they didn't cut that out. Yeah, I think it was cheesy <laughs> enough to be like, okay, they know it's fake. Yeah. Yeah, when they're using models and stuff like that, you can kind of get away with more than when it looks like realistic, like a war movie or Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. So my first experience with this movie, I didn't see it until 2005 when I was a freshman in college. So I was at Purdue, and at Purdue we had these big bunk beds. So my desk was underneath one of the loft beds, right? And my roommate was asleep. I watched the whole movie late at night, just sitting under the bed in the dark. (laughs) I was pretty hooked on it on my first experience. Of course, I was looking for something like, you know, The Ring or The Grudge. Those are the horror movies that I had seen. So to go back to an 80s horror movie, it was quite different, but I thought the subject matter was pretty fascinating, which we'll get into here. I think this is a good horror movie for kids (laughs) because as an adult, it's entertaining, but you're not scared because i think obviously you know everything's focused at the kids especially the two youngest kids so when you watch this as a 12 11 10 year old 
and just 10 year old kids getting pulled out of his house by a tree, you get more scared where as you watch it as an 18 year old, 19 year old guy, you're like, Oh, okay. I, I, uh, I can see what people say or are seeing, but my mom saw it as an adult. And the part that she found terrifying was being a mother of young kids. And when Carol Ann is in the TV and you can't see her, but you can hear her. And she just keeps saying over and over, mommy, where are you? I can't see you. Where are you? That's the part that my mom couldn't handle. Because she she related to that on more of a a motherly or a parent can't find your kid. I I can hear you. I can't see you and I can't help you and I can't do anything about it. And I think that's why my mom was so disturbed by this movie that she couldn't watch it. But I agree with Doug, though, Mm -hmm. as an adult watching it, you're like, "Eh, it's just a fun movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, you're a little bit more seeing shadows on your wall and thinking, what what is that? I think that's where my fear of clowns came from. <laughs> you know, yeah, or Jack Nicholson. Storms. I, I mean, how many times did you count the seconds between lightning and thunder when you were a kid? All the time. I did. That's where I learned that was from that movie. You know, it wasn't, you oh. know, my, my parents didn't t- tell me to do that. I saw it in that movie and that's when I started doing it. And yeah, every time I would count and that would get four and then it's, three and it's like oh god where's that tree <laughs> get away from the window come on interesting all right well let's get into the plot then what we usually do on this podcast is we trace the plot of these movies and look for spiritual themes we're trying to find you know do we see anything from popular religion in these films does the film say anything about god is there some underlying truth or concept here that we can see that's spiritual in nature So I always pull up the IMDb plot synopsis. It's always very, very short. And here's what it has to say about this movie. A family is haunted by a host of demonic ghosts. So I thought that was kind of a funny plot summary because like, what is a demonic (laughs) ghost? Because I think we talked about on the night house that demons and ghosts are like separate beings. Mm -hmm. So here we've got demonic ghost. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> right off the bat, I would say in the 80s, I don't think we separated ghosts and demons as much as they do. You know, there's more experts on TV yeah. now. Yeah. Experts. Yeah. Ah, we've learned more. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. So uh, the opening scene here, everybody's asleep in the house except for Carol Ann. And she goes down to the TV and it's all fuzzy. So if you're young and you didn't know this, TVs used to go fuzzy because the broadcast went off the air after a certain time. So there was nothing on TV, just fuzz. Personally, I've been terrified of fuzzy TVs ever since I saw the ring. (laughs) But in this movie, (laughs) there's something on the other side, apparently talking to Carol Ann. What is going on here? Is this EVP, that thing called electronic voice phenomenon? Uh, No. If it, no. I, I do watch the experts and uh, EVPs are <laughs> voices you can't hear with your ear, but you can hear them electronically if you tape it, allegedly tape it through. Ah. So, you know, we say, is anyone here? And then you play it back and you, you say, is anyone here? And it goes, did you hear that? He said, I'm here. I'm here. That's how it works. It says yes. <laughs> I think that's actually more of a disembodied voice is what she's hearing. She's hearing it with her ears, but you don't know where exactly where it's coming from. So that's... She knows where it's coming from. She's coming from the TV. Yeah. I remember watching, you know, you'd stay up late and I'd watch like Saturday Night Live or something like that. And then they'd do like a quick half hour show. And at 1230, it was National Anthem, Fuzz. That was it. And there were times where even after that national anthem, if I was still up in the fuzz come on, I'd sit there and stare at it like, I'm going to hear something. <laughs> after seeing Poltergeist, it's like, is this, uh, what happens? Like, how long does this go on? I forgot this is how the movie started. And I'll say, dude, I, I got some really deep feels and nostalgia when that hit. Because I do remember that if if you saw the national anthem and that thing go to fuzz, it's like, you did it. You closed down the TV for that day. You know, it was because at a young age, I mean, you get tired at 11 o'clock, 1130, midnight. And it's like, oh, my God, half hour, half hour. And you you see that buzz and it's like 
yes you pass out right there in the living room floor and you know it's time to go to bed because there is nothing else on yeah (laughs) unless you had cable you might be able to go to like mtv and watch mtv no i think think mtv may have shut down too i don't even know i know it was mostly like cbs nbc you know the basic local networks that you'd get Mm -hmm. done (laughs) so that was it's bedtime or play nintendo Uh, i mean dude when we were really young, that's all you had. You it was right, MTV didn't come out until '84, so I was nine before we had MTV. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Nothing was on after twelve thirty. Yeah, I can barely remember that, but I do remember when I was a young kid, and I'd go to my friend's house for a sleepover or something, mm-hmm. and we'd be playing with Batman figures and watching TV, and then all of a sudden, fuzz. So I can remember this, but just barely, you know. So one thing that I thought about, we have this voice coming from the spirit realm here. You know, we talked a few episodes back about like the Garden of Eden being this place where the physical world and the spiritual world were once like overlapping. Early Jewish religion, that was the concept and and the origins of Christianity. So the idea is that after Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, those two worlds the physical and the spiritual world, they're kind of split apart, kind of like Legend of Zelda Link to the Past or The Matrix or something. So they're two separate worlds, but occasionally you see glimpses of that spiritual world in this world. So this is one of those those rare glimpses. She sees something from beyond death, from the other side. I don't want to get too deep into it because you find out exactly what's happening eventually we find out that it's targeting Caroline. You know, it's not just a random thing. So, well, that is a question I had at this point is, is that a ghost reaching out to her or is it the beast? Because we're going to find out there's multiple entities on the other side later. So at this point in the movie, who is reaching out to Caroline? Which being is this? I think it's the beast manipulating her. And they actually will say that later that he is trying to get her to trust him by being nice, being friendly, and then get her and then eventually start manipulating. So I'm believing that's the beast who makes the first contact. Okay. And right off the bat, I mean, that's, I think that's a very non-religious way to just represent Satan. If you want to bring in the Bible and stuff like that, you know, it, it tries to be your friend. The beast was actually talking with the child's voice to Caroline. Yeah, it was appearing as a child or something to get her <laughs> comfortable. Yeah. Just like, you know, the Bible says Satan will do. He'll tempt you with what you want or what you feel is right. And for Caroline, it was another kid her age. So it's like, hey, yeah, yeah, let's talk. Oh, she must not like her brother very much. Huh? <laughs> I think they got along all right, but just another kid. Well, what about this family here? This is a typical suburban middle-class family, you know, kind of living the American dream or something. Do you think there's a reason that the film writers wrote this as the family we're watching? Like, is there a subtext to this film? What, what are they trying to tell us by depicting this family as the haunted family? I think basically that could have just been like a typical suburban family at the time. You know, they had a the stay-at-home mom raising kids. You know, I mean, if you think about it, they got the kids, they've got a nice house, they've got the dog, they've got, I mean, it's it's basically what they always said, you know, the family lifestyle should be like. Yeah, he's a realtor. He works for the property, the company that's building all these houses in this suburban neighborhood. So he's got a, a good job. And I think it's just, this is the typical American family of 1982. And I think that's why they went with that. I mean, they weren't rich. They weren't poor. They were middle class family. And right off the bat, that can relate to, what, 70% of America, probably yeah. more at that time. Yeah. That pulls in a big crew right there. And another one, I don't know if this is something they were thinking about too, but when you have you know a movie that's going to be taking place where it's got these the supernatural events going on and putting it with the typical American middle-class family, it's kind of a way of showing that this could happen to anybody. It doesn't have to be the horror family that's normally in horror movies. Usually when you have a horror movie and it's with a family, there's always some kind of, seems like there's always some kind of a problem going on within the family. I think of Amityville Horror, there was mm-hmm. an issue. The issue with that would being it's a newly married couple and 
the guy has stepkids now and they're building a home for the first time. But here you've already got a, a family that's established. And so it's, it's just kind of a, a little, this could happen to anybody. That is true because you see that a lot in the uh, 70s horror, you know, even with, you know, Exorcist, you have a single mother, the father's just not wanting to be in the picture and everything like that. So there's another special the shining. Family. You have an alcoholic dad who, you know, now they're fighting cabin fever, being locked up and isolated for, you know, there's always some kind of outside issue. And with Poltergeist, there is no outside issue. This is just a typical family. Not doing anything wrong, just living the American dream, and then boom. Is it, maybe that's supposed to make it scarier. Oh, just yeah. Like, hey, this could happen to you. Like yeah. you said, yeah, this is your family. When I was 10, 11, 12 years old, this, that was my family minus the girls and had another boy. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, there's only one <laughs> thing that I could think about is that maybe it's something about neglect or this family being distracted because, like, you know, Carol Ann's a, awake at, like, midnight – there's a scene where Carol Ann's in the kitchen and she's staring at a fuzzy TV, that tiny little TV. My grandma had one of those in her mm-hmm. kitchen. And mm-hmm. the mom goes, don't watch that. You'll ruin your eyes. And she switches the TV to like this horrible war oh. movie where like people are being killed and Carol Ann's glued to that now. And the mom doesn't even notice. So like that, the only thing I could think about is like maybe they're not totally tuned in with what their kids are doing or learning from the world. So I don't know if that was just there to be funny or if well, that was part of the subject. So I was looking for something. I didn't really find anything clear. Being a parent, there are times though where I'll walk in and I'll see like, you know, one of my kids watching something. What are, what are you watching? This is so stupid. Turn it off. And I'll just turn it to another channel and then forget about what they're, now I have no idea what they're watching because I just walked out of the room. So I can kind of relate with her going, why are you staring at this fuzzy TV? Just turn it to something. So, I mean, that happens. I don't know if if there's any disconnect between the parents and their kids so much. I think it's just her doing her thing. This is where I thought you were going to go to is the time frame is a little bit different than today. Even different than it was in the 90s and the 2000s. I mean... I don't want this to sound bad or anything. And, you know, it was more one parent than the other, but I I watched a lot of stuff like that as a kid. I saw war movies as a kid. I saw Rambo when I was eight years old and blowing people up and everything like that. It was just parents would be like, yeah, yeah, watch this. By the way, it's a movie. It's fake. You know, this is me, I believe. And that's how, you know, we didn't even have PG 13 until I was like 12 years old. Yeah. So at first, First time I saw The Shining was on TV with my parents. Mm -hmm. That's how I watched it. Which, real quick, the movie that you referenced that she turns it to to a war movie, that movie is called A Guy Named Joe, starring Spencer Tracy, who happens in that movie, plays a guardian angel. Huh. Ooh, way to go, Steve. Good find. Mm -hmm. Steven Spielberg, he put in a cool little thing there. To catch that, you would have to be deep into movies because i've never heard of that movie i know who spencer tracy is but i happened just to come across that when i was doing a little research on poltergeist it says that a real quick shot of a movie called a guy named joe which the movie always you guys know that by spielberg it's a remake it's a remake of a guy called joe Oh, really okay yeah they just kind of update it but yeah spencer tracy plays a guardian angel in that movie interesting I really like that because, you know, nowadays that's all Marvel does is if you go through, they just throw little Easter eggs in there like that. You know, you you really didn't hear about that back in those days. But to hear that now, it's like, okay, that's really cool. That is pretty cool. I actually think that might be connected to the climax of the film. So we'll have to bring that back up towards the end. Okay. All right. So now we get to see a little bit of poltergeist activity because... Carol Ann is drawn to the TV again on night two. A ghostly hand emerges from the TV. There's an earthquake. And that's when Carol Ann says the famous line, they're here. So she's implying that the ghosts have crossed over into the house. Then we see these kitchen chairs moving the next day in the kitchen. And they stack up on the table and everybody's backs turned to them. So the poltergeist is starting to reveal itself. So I did a little bit of 
homework on what is a poltergeist. And I mean, no, they tell us a little bit in the movie, but they say basically a, a mischievous ghost held responsible for noises and unexplained rappings. So I actually looked up in the... Most rap songs are unexplainable to me. Yeah. yeah made by poltergeists. Um, <laughs> in Merriam-Webster Dictionary, when I looked up the definition of poltergeist, it had this little did you know section, and it said this. It says, one of the tricks of a poltergeist is to make knocking noises. So it will come as no surprise that when we learn that the word poltergeist literally translates from German as knocking spirit. The German verb poltern means to knock, and geist is the German word for spirit. I didn't know that. Knocking huh. spirit. Hmm. Yeah. It says the English word ghost is also related. It descends from the same ancient root that led to geist. Ghost has been used in English since the 12th century. Poltergeist is a relative newcomer, first appearing in English in the 19th century. So this is a German folktale, basically. You can tell how this movie has inspired many people, because that's basically a shot-for-shot scene from Sixth Sense. Other than the chairs, it's the cabinet door. She walks over, she walks over to her kid, comes back up, all the doors are back open, and the kid's just sitting there. What me? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. exactly. Paranormal Activity 2 did a cabinet scene where, but they made it sudden where everything's just like, boom. boom. Yeah. So that may have come from something here as oh, well. Yeah, totally. yeah. Yeah. You'll see that in a lot of, of movies. This director who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this, about nine more Texas Chainsaw Massacres, and then a bunch of sea level horror movies. The Mangler. Mm hmm. The Mangler. Because of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and this movie, he has inspired Rob Zombie and other guys. <laughs> you have like three names. I'm with listening. <laughs> he never stopped. This is this, this, this is quality stuff, dude. Trust me. This is what's going to take us viral. All right. He influenced Wes Craven. There you go. Nightmare on Elm Street. There we go. Oh. Rob Zombie. Really? Yes. Uh, Ridley Scott from uh, Alien. Aliens. And Aliens. Alexander Aja, who did The Hills Have Eyes, Piranha 3D, <laughs> and some other dude that I've never heard Piranha of. 3D. Yes. And obviously M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, I'm, M. Night's probably got some. That, that, that had to be a tip of the hat to poltergeist because that was the exact yeah ghost stacking chairs because no human being would stack chairs like that Ghostbusters. not that quick <laughs> i will make a ghostbuster reference every chance i get i'm just letting you guys know that and i respect that and i uh tried my best to do the same <laughs> well the next major scene is the tree attack this tree is apparently possessed or something what exactly happens with the tree is this real is this supposed to be in the child's imagination or is this a literal thing that happened no, his dad climbs up the tree yeah his dad went outside and had to pull him out of this man-eating tree yeah even as a kid i remember seeing this isn't a tornado coming at this time? Yeah, the storm yeah, is going on. Yeah, the worst on, CGI tornado. tornado I've ever seen. Well, yeah, it was, they probably it's didn't even have CGI. Yeah, he's better in Wizard of Oz. <laughs> I remember, even as a kid, maybe not the first time, but remember watching this maybe as a young teenager or something like that, going, all right, you got the supernatural movie going on with ghosts and demons and the TV and everything like that. That makes sense. And then out of nowhere, a tree monster shows up wait that hasn't what no no you you had me with the supernatural and then it just got super crazy and that that was a misstep for the movie in my opinion i think they could have done something better i think the whole purpose of that was though is to separate the family from carol ann total plot devices all that was but mm -hmm. i agree maybe they could have had them trapped in a room or something yeah well the whole portal thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I guess that's what got Caroline, but... 
kid got stuck in a closet somewhere and they couldn't get the door open. Yeah, maybe something like that. The stairs collapsed and they couldn't get upstairs. I love this scene for fun. Oh, yeah. No, for fun, yeah. As a kid, I was still scared to death of trees. So since it's <laughs> just supposed to be a distraction, that's why I wondered maybe like the spirits were making some kind of mental distraction because it's pretty bizarre for a, a tree to do this. I mean, trees don't typically get possessed. But not every day. <laughs> no, you normally you don't see that normal behavior in trees. Well, you don't see that. Ghostbusters. If I was really going to stretch things, in the Bible, they had these idols, pagan nations. They had these wooden dolls that they'd carve, and they'd invite a god or a spirit or a demon to come inhabit this little doll. Well, I mean, a tree, big wooden dead tree, it's basically like an empty, hollow, wooden carving, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you could look at it's it that kind of way. Kind of a leap, but maybe that was their thinking. I don't know. It's one of those details that I'm being picky with because that's the way I can, you know, I'm old. But uh, I don't want to take away from the movie. This is a great movie, and that's a great scene too. Especially watching as a kid, you're just like terrified. Seemed a little bit weird, but yeah, all in all, still a lot of fun. It was it was intense. I mean, you know, the dad climbing up the tree while the tree's swallowing the kid. And, Yeah, it was fun. Mm -hmm. And the spirits were successful in coaxing Carol Ann into the closet or the beast. Right. Yeah. The uh, closet door had opened up and basically was sucking everything inside for the portal. Oh, I'm getting mixed up, actually, because I also watched the remake. Did they use a toy to coax her into the closet or did she? No. The door just opened up and it was just a vortex. It was just sucking everything in. Yeah, she was sitting there and everything in. And she flew in. Everything was in the closet. Remember when they went to look for her afterwards? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, no, she's dead under the blanket. And it was the scary clown. Yeah, it just sucked her in. It wasn't uh, enticed. It was just everything was being funneled into that closet. Yeah, so now the family is frantically trying to find... Carol Ann. So this is one of those parts where I thought, remember how I said I thought maybe the family was possibly like neglecting their kids or their family or not really paying attention. This is one of the reasons I thought that is because when they go to talk to the paranormal investigators to get help finding Carol Ann, Stephen can't even remember how old his wife is. <laughs> they ask, how old's your wife? And he's like, uh, 30 or 31 or, oh, uh, 32. Like he doesn't know. And so I started yeah. to wonder if, I mean, why would they write that line if not for that? Or is he just supposed to be like a typical husband who doesn't pay attention to those things? Well, as a typical husband, <laughs> one, you got to think about if you're under distress, right? You're, uh, yeah. you're emotionally distressed at this point. On a clear day, if you ask me how old my wife is, I have to stop and I have to think. All right, she was born here, so she is that. So it's like... Yeah, can't say it on the podcast. <laughs> she's she's somewhere between this age and this age. Yeah, I mean, you have sometimes you got to think about it. You know, my wife is 36. I have, to, I have to go back to when she was born and do the math. So if you're under distress and you're emotionally exhausted because you just dealt with what you dealt with, I, I think that's a very believable question. How old is your wife? She's 30 or, or 31, 31 or something like that. And, and to me, that I didn't think anything of it. I, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And remember, this isn't something that they prepared for. This isn't like I've been hearing knocks. No, this is I'm going to bed. Oh, my gosh. A tree is trying to eat my son. Oh, my gosh. Where's my daughter? You know, it was like... Okay, I'm working on a promotion. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Oh, it's just a complete 180 in six hours, you know? Uh, and yeah. I totally, totally get that. Yeah, that makes sense. Before you said that, I was thinking, well, maybe he was pursuing this promotion at work so hard that he wasn't necessarily available for the family. And now I can't tell because. You're right. People in trauma, they can't think straight. They can't mm-hmm. recall. When I get too busy, I can't remember people's names that I should remember. Yeah. 
<laughs> I get that on a normal day. I don't need to press for that. <laughs> Isn't that right, Kyle? Champ. Let's call him Champ. Champ. Slugger. <laughs> to me, they just seem like a very happy family. Which, to, you know, to add to the spiritualism of that, that's awesome. You know, you got a happy family. You got a father and a mother who love each other, who are together. That is something you don't see a lot. Because in movies, you you need something to add to the story. And if you put a little trauma or a little separation of the family, stuff like that, it adds to the story. And I understand why they do that. But at the same point, it's nice to have that solid family. You know, the family that sticks together no matter what. Yeah. It is, it is cool to see a family struggle as a unit mm-hmm. because they, they yeah. share this struggle. And that's what's kind of cool. I think they're a very happy family. And I, I just remembered this too that I was, I was reading. And I actually noticed this in their bedroom at the beginning of the movie when they're going through. They don't really say it in the movie about their spirituality, but I think they have some because there's a picture on her wall in the bedroom. It's a framed picture of an angel. So I'm assuming that they have faith, even though it's not really overly discussed in the movie, but they have stuff like that hanging on their wall. Yeah, I I think when it comes to the family, it is a strong family and everything, but they are a very liberal family when they start smoking weed, nothing like that. I'm not saying this in a negative way by any means. They're just really relaxed and laid back. In 1982, what would they have been telling the initial viewers with that scene? Like today, that looks a lot different than it did in 1982. So what was the message to the audience at that time? I think they were trying to portray that they are a very open family. When their daughter does disappear, 99% of the people, the first call they make is 911. And... This family is went through all this trauma and they don't want anyone to know about it. They know that something's weird. That is a thing in horror movies you see a lot. It's obvious something happened, yet the family doesn't believe it. Oh, that can't be. It's not this and everything like that. Again, this is something they did a little bit different with this movie is it happened and the whole family was like, it's real. It happened. Let's keep this quiet. Let's bring in experts. Please can't help us on this. Every other ghost movie in the world, it skipped the whole part where it's like, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. I Oh, okay, now I believe. It skipped that boring part. It was just like, yeah. oh, a tree tried to eat my kid. I believe. That's kind of refreshing, to be honest. The closest they came to actually doing that is when they went to the neighbor's house and they knocked on the door and he asked, have you guys experienced anything weird right and they're like no i'm just like oh okay (laughs) and then they laugh it off and they go home and they're like Mm -hmm. well okay (laughs) so yeah i think that's what they're trying to say with the uh open pot smoking and stuff like that is they are very just and that's what i meant by liberal very liberal open mind open thinking type type of family or at least couple yeah yeah because i i recently read like a survey can't remember who did the study it might have been barna but they were asking which group was most likely to believe and least likely to believe in supernatural events and shockingly uh, the least likely to believe in supernatural stuff is actually christians evangelical christians Mm -hmm. which is interesting because the bible's full of supernatural stuff and i even think uh some of the way it's talked about today that stuff is toned down So I do think it is interesting because if you had a modern day evangelical Christian and this happened to them, they're probably not going to go the next day to the paranormal investigation (laughs) office in the university, you know? Yeah, they looked out that there was one down the street. (laughs) There were a lot of those in the 80s. (laughs) You have to set that up somehow because otherwise it's like, they are off their rocker. Like, who is this? So, okay. So they may have some faith, but they're also open to other things. The paranormal, ghost investigation, things like that. So this is when we get to see the paranormal team enter the house. And this was where things got really cool when I was watching this for the first time, because I was in my dorm, I'm huddled under the loft bed, 
or with my desktop computer, big CRT monitor. I have actually been in a paranormal investigation like this. Have you guys ever seen anything like this? Like, what do you mean? Like, like what happens in the movie when they come over with all their equipment? Oh, no, Drew and I do this all the time. (laughs) Doug and I have done this a lot. We do this at least almost once a year. I've got a good bag. (laughs) 50 feet away from me that has recorders, cameras, uh, temperature things, everything like that. EVP recorder. Just because I yeah. find it fun. <laughs> like I said, I, I don't know if I believe truly or not, but oh yeah. I, I, and I'm a I, believer. I go into these things. So. Yeah. yeah. We've done this before with all the equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Now, not to this extreme, obviously. We don't have the cameras yeah, and printers. <laughs> and Of course, actually, everything they had on that it's probably right here now. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, I'll tell you basically what my experience was like compared to this movie. Because there is something I've been trying to figure out. Okay, if this wasn't real, if this group was faking this investigation, how did they do it? So a lot of what I experienced was very much like the scene in the movie. You know, you're going around the house at night, you're you're measuring things, you've got cameras, trying to capture things on a screen. The lady that was Doing the investigation, she called out to this ghost through, I think we heard it through like a walkie-talkie or something, or a little radio, and it was in German, which was interesting. The voice that spoke back, she had a Kinect camera, an Xbox Kinect camera hooked up to a tablet or something. And if I were to stand in front of the Kinect camera, on the screen, it would plot a stick figure, right? Yes, I've seen this. Then if I step out of the camera view, the stick figure plot goes away. Well, then they would take this camera around to the haunted rooms and see if it would pick up anything. And it would plot little stick figures. So it plotted like two kids playing. And then we went in a room where there was a TV and a Nintendo Wii. And one of the stick figures was trying to turn on the Wii and like play video games that's cool i was like how did they do this is this some kind of ai thing where it like generates fake stick figure plots or did it see something or it goes off of lights and shadows and movements so i've seen people debunk this online because okay i mean you could walk around my apartment and you're gonna point at something that's gonna hit a shadow or a light because that's what that program does it creates stick figures mm-hmm. you know so if it catches some kind of light some kind of shadow that's like oh there it is boom stick figure it it just throws it out there and tries to catch the best it can so yeah I, okay. i've seen that debunked on okay yeah that was interesting so that was my experience that was kind of like this poltergeist experience now the lady who was doing this investigation she did bring out like a lot of deep information about the house that I don't know if she'd researched it, but Hmm. it was different watching this film after having been through that. So that that was interesting because, I mean, I bet when this came out, most families had never seen a a paranormal investigation in a film. Yeah, I can't think of any. No, no. They'd bring in like a psychic or something like that who would get a reading and then like run out of the house. That Mm -hmm. would be the typical... Or, yeah, bring out the Ouija board, or they'd bring yeah. in the Catholic priests, mm-hmm. you know. Nobody brought in the kooks. <laughs> the Warrens was after that, so. Yeah. And that's what they made fun of in Ghostbusters, you know. They were these kooks that paranormal, what? <laughs> Come on. You know, I'm, we're not going to mess with those. And then all of a sudden, everyone wants to be with them. So, yeah, they kind of made fun of that fact that it nobody was really doing that at that time so yeah it was interesting probably interesting as an adult to see something like that as far as i understand uh, the younger generation like 30 and below now is much more open to this kind of thing i know there's a lot of stuff that's coming back into popularity like tarot cards and psychics and things like that so it is a little bit different watching this movie now as opposed to 1982 because the original audience would probably be a lot more skeptical than maybe a modern audience would be. So that's kind of interesting. Very true. In Poltergeist, there is a portal in the house, and it leads to some kind of spiritual place. In between death, a more permanent place for the afterlife, like heaven. What is on the other side of this portal, and how does that fit within the beliefs of mainstream religion? I think 
what is on the side of that portal is, I don't know what the exact word would be used, if they use it in the Bible or not, but it's kind of like a waiting room. Like purgatory or shield. Purgatory. Yeah. I think because she mentions, and we haven't actually got to the point yet where the psychic lady comes into the house, but she does make references that entities and spirits here, and some of them, they don't know that they're dead or they are dead and they they're mad about it, but they haven't moved on to the light yet. Like you go to the portal and then you go to the light and that light is always mentioned as that's the entrance to heaven. If you go to the light or stay away from the light, you know, whatever. I think they're just kind of in limbo. I think that's what is on that side. I don't think it's heaven. It's not hell. It's just you're waiting. Wherever they are, I know they serve a lot of cherry jello. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is kind of cool. What is that reference from? Uh, it's from the, well, the end of the movie when they come falling out, they're covered and all that. Oh, all yeah. That ectoplasm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gelatin. So this is a really interesting point because mm-hmm. typically in traditional Christianity, the thought is that when a person dies, they go straight to heaven or hell. But when I was researching, because I'm kind of a theology nerd, in Judaism, they didn't necessarily think that. Old Testament period, there was this place called Sheol. Everybody went there, right? It's just a holding tank or a waiting period, kind of like maybe the other side of this portal. It wasn't exactly like purgatory because you're not like serving a particular time or trying to pay for something you've done, but it was just everybody goes here until later. So post-Jesus, after Jesus died and was resurrected, that's when Sheol was gone. People started to believe you go straight to be with God or go to hell, right? So things changed at that point. There was, in ancient Judaism, a belief that when a person died, maybe they could run from the next life. Like, maybe they didn't want to go there, and they believed they were supposed to get, like, an escort, like an angel was going to take them to wherever they were supposed to go next, and they didn't want to go there because they thought they were going to go someplace bad, so they would run. Other parts of Judaism believed a soul could linger for, like, three days before it went on to the next life. So it gets kind of tricky. It's not as clear-cut as people think. Bottom line is we, we don't know exactly what the timeline is when a person dies, but it is interesting to see this in-between place in this film and to realize, well, maybe this isn't quite as outside of Christianity or Judaism as maybe we initially might think. Because you know how Tangina comes in later and she says, hey, you know, I'm going to ask you to do everything I say, even if it contradicts your Christian beliefs. And I'm sitting here scratching my head like, well, does it really contradict Christianity? I'm not sure, because, you know, I can see ways that maybe this place is like Sheol or, or Purgatory or just that place that you travel through on your way to heaven or hell. Yeah, it's, I don't know, there's so many different stories and everything. And truthfully, I thought I'm not as much as into theology as you are, but I always thought in Christianity, when we die, we actually go to paradise, which is a holding place before we go to heaven after the end of days or whatever. Is yeah. that what's explained in the Bible? Yes. So I think it's tricky when they say heaven because sometimes they're referring to the future heaven mm-hmm. and sometimes they're referring to paradise. Okay, like you gotcha. Say. So I think you know, first century Christians would have believed that when you die, you fairly quickly go straight to be with God. Pretty quickly, like you're on your way to be with God. Mm -hmm. And when this future new earth, which we probably think of as heaven, comes, the new Eden, well, I think that's actually the earth being remade. So we're back here or someplace like it or something. I hope someplace like it. I've been here. (laughs) New improved version. We're going to be on the Death Star. There you go. (laughs) So yes, yes, that's correct. Okay, cool. I always thought after hearing some of these stories, like, okay, I get the general idea in 
Christianity and Judaism of what happens when you die. But, you know, is there just a little bit of wiggle room for something like what's in this film? Like, I don't know that I would think a person gets permanently lost, but maybe you wander around for a little bit. Like, I mean, people people say they see ghosts. What is that? Is that just an imprint left over or energy or the way I see this? And, you know, this again, this is just my personal belief is when you die, your soul leaves your body. I don't think God would be that kind of devious to put you somewhere and be like, now wait, and then we'll see, you know? And it's like, okay, now I'm stuck between heaven and hell, and I don't know where I'm going. Wait, wait, what? Mm -hmm. I don't think God would do that personally. (laughs) It it just doesn't feel right to me. Now, there may be something else to it, and maybe we'll get up there and we'll wait three days and then we'll finally get to heaven. God will be like, man, they translated my Bible all wrong. <laughs> it I totally explained everything right here in part two. And it's not called Exodus. I called it Bob. I don't know who called it Exodus, but yeah, it says right here, when you die, you're going to wait for three days. We've got to process, you know, a few shots and everything like that, but you're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So who knows? But yeah, it just seems like that's something that God wouldn't put you through. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly worried about it, you know, mm-hmm. like the logistics of it. But yeah, at the same point, you never know. We've talked about the whole spirit thing in past videos. And like I said, I believe people are seeing stuff. I haven't experienced anything. And it seems more logical to me that people can just be so scared or be so... And Drew, I hope I'm wrong, (laughs) you know, because I'm not saying this to put you down, but oh, I know you grow up in a house like Drew did that your parents say, hey, there's a ghost here or something weird happened. And your mind immediately goes to that and then it can make more things happen. And whether you think it happened or, you know, you see somebody walk by and that's where I go. I could be wrong. Someday we'll be at a place doing an investigation goes to walk up and be like what's up and i'll be like hey, i'm hoping for that i'm, I'm waiting see- for us to do that and i, I want like it. a ghost to jump on your bed or something like that <laughs> when you're sleeping i'm just that's what i'm hoping I'll, for i'll take it but we'll take yeah it. i mean and i and i understand it and not experiencing something I, I i totally understand your skeptic i probably would be the same way had i not had the experiences that i've had you know, I've seen my uncle and I know clear as day, I saw my uncle. I mean, I saw facial features. I saw everything. But again, yeah, I under, I completely understand if you're not, if you haven't experienced it, then it's, it's one of those where the seeing is believing. Right. You know, thing. So. so basically when it comes down to it, this movie's more fiction for me where with Drew, it's something that could be a possibility minus the tree. Tree, minus the tree. Or getting sucked into a TV. I don't know if I believe in all that stuff. Maybe but getting I, strangled by a <laughs> clown puppet. I believe Actually, that one. Drew would be scared to death of that, yeah. <laughs> that thing wouldn't even be in my house. <laughs> I'm somewhat intrigued by uh, this movie's portrayal here. Because the idea of a portal, I mean, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve get kicked out of Eden, there's a portal there. And there's some kind of like cherubim or angel figure guarding it with a flaming sword but there is this idea of a portal so the idea of a portal is not that crazy in terms of the bible so i i thought that was interesting now tangina is going to say that the spirits are attracted to carol ann's life force she's the only living being in the portal so that's quite fascinating like you've got someone from the physical world has now crossed over into the spirit world. You've got precedents for that in the Bible, too. You've got Enoch and Elijah are two people who were carried off to heaven without dying. Like their physical bodies in the Bible, it says they were carried off to heaven. So you've got some precedents for something like that. Why do you think the spirits are attracted to Carol Ann's life force? Like, what's the deal with that? I think they're attracted to her because of innocence. I think her just being a little girl and or even just any little child, she's the youngest one in there. One, if it's the beast who is after her, she'd be the probably the most likely to follow. 
she'd probably be the easiest one to influence because she has that innocence about her, you know? And I think that's why they, you know, adults have baggage and aren't going to be as trusting and, you know, they're going to ask the questions and stuff. And she just went right with it. You know, like I said, it was talking to her in a child's voice to influence her. So I think that's that's what it was. Stay tuned for part two of our discussion on Poltergeist and its spiritual themes. Thanks for listening to the Movies Are Spiritual podcast. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel at Movies Are Spiritual. If you want to go deeper into the theology we discuss, check out our sister podcast and YouTube channel, Brewery Ministries. You'll find it on YouTube at Brewery Ministries or look up the Brewery Ministries podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or in any podcast app. If you want to talk spiritual themes and movies with your friends or theology, we produce discussion questions for you to use for free. Go to breweryministries.org, click on the free discussion guides tab, and you'll find discussion questions on movies like the Batman series, Marvel movies, The Matrix, or try one of our theology series. Discuss the book of Mark or the original context of the Bible in our Overview of the Bible series. If you're in the Wichita area, you can join us at a brewery on Tuesday nights to discuss theology. We meet at Poor House in downtown Wichita at 7 p.m. every Tuesday night in the upstairs room. Questions or comments? Reach out to us on our social media pages or email us at breweryministries at gmail.com. For more updates, follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Brewery Ministries or on Twitter at Brewery Ministry. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.